Welcome to this Medical Minute on Opioid Options for Pain Management. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from the Opioid Analgesic REMS program companies, provided by Clinical Care Options, LLC, and in partnership with the American Academy of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, Practicing Clinician Exchange, and ProCE. I'm Samantha Catanzano, clinical pharmacist and board certified psychiatric pharmacist. I'm a clinical assistant professor at the University of Texas at Austin College of Pharmacy and practicing pharmacist at UT Health Austin. Today's objectives include identifying indications and mechanisms of action of opioid analgesics, as well as differentiating between partial and full mu opioid agonists. We will also recognize contraindications and adverse events associated with opioid medications and apply the relationship of route and administration to pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of opioid medications. Opioid medications initially had their start after being derived from the poppy plant. Currently, opioid medications are considered naturally occurring, synthetic, or semi-synthetic. Our body naturally produces opioids such as endorphins, enkephalins, and dynorphins. And regardless of opioid utilized, they each provide similar clinical effects. Most opioids are classified as full opioid agonists, though some possess mixed or partial agonist properties. On the opposite end of the spectrum are opioid antagonists, such as naloxone and naltrexone. While opioids exert their analgesic effect by binding to the new opioid receptor, there are two other opioid receptors that can be involved, the kappa and delta receptor. However, the kappa and delta receptors are correlated with adverse effects and minimal analgesic activity. Therefore, activating these receptors are unwanted properties of our opioid medications. At the new opioid receptor site, activation results in suppression of excitatory neurotransmitter release, hyperpolarization, and overall decrease in neuronal excitability. And this results in inhibition of the ascending pain pathways, altering the perception and response to pain. Activation of the new opioid receptor can also cause respiratory depression, sedation, euphoria, as well as dependence. All opioid receptors are G-protein coupled receptors. Therefore, they undergo conformational changes or lack thereof when opioids or other substances bind to their receptor sites. Full opioid agonists bind to the new receptor and produce maximal response through significant conformational changes. Partial agonists like buprenorphine, for example, cause less conformational change and produce less receptor activation dependent on the dose. Antagonists such as naltrexone elicit no effect at the opioid receptor and block the effect of other opioids, and this is speaking simply. Opioids are largely metabolized by CYP2D6, with the exception of buprenorphine, fentanyl, and methadone, which are primarily metabolized by CYP3A4. Inhibitors of CYP2D6 may decrease the analgesic effects of codeine and tramadol since they rely on CYP2D6 in producing highly active metabolites. It is also important to consider dose reductions or reduced frequency in those with hepatic dysfunction as they are at greater risk of drug accumulation. As a class, adverse events are generally dose-dependent. Common side effects typically include nausea, vomiting, itching, constipation, cognitive impairment, and drowsiness. With the exception of constipation, most of these effects can decrease over time. Long-term use may contribute to hormonal changes that impact mood, libido, and weight management. 
and use of additional medications to treat opioid-related adverse events should generally be minimized when possible. All opioids include warnings and precautions related to CNS or central nervous system depression and development of dependence or misuse. Reduced psychomotor performance and increased risk of falls can occur and may be largely influenced by baseline functional status. Risk of respiratory depression is greatest in patients taking concurrent CNS depressants, including alcohol, and those with existing lung disease, including obstructive disorders, are also at greater risk. Depending on the individual patient, contraindications may include presence of severe respiratory instability, moderate to severe hepatic impairment, as this can result in accumulation and risk for side effects, an active substance use disorder not currently receiving multidisciplinary treatment, acute psychiatric instability or high suicide risk, a true allergy to opioids, and if they are currently receiving active treatment with naltrexone for another indication. Combination products include two or more medications in a fixed dose. Common combination products include an opioid analgesic, so for example, hydrocodone, and typically a non-opioid component, such as acetaminophen. Combination products can have the benefit of providing multimodal pain control. However, customization is generally more challenging due to limited dose strengths and fixed combinations. And oftentimes, the total daily dose is generally going to be limited by the non-opioid component. In general, short-acting or immediate-release opioids are not preferred for long-term pain control. However, they can be helpful for establishing response and tolerance. Conversion from a short-acting to a long-acting opioid or extended-release formulation is generally recommended once this occurs. When converting between immediate-release and extended-release formulations of the same opioid, it is recommended to convert to the daily equal analgesic dose. When switching to a new opioid, with the exception of converting to and from methadone, it is important that the initial daily calculated equal analgesic dose of the new opioid is reduced by 25 to 50% in order to adjust for lack of complete new receptor cross-tolerance when switching. Maximum or optimal doses do not exist for most opioid products. And as mentioned previously, maximum daily doses are generally determined by the non-opioid component in combination products. When converting between opioids, the morphine equivalent dose, MED, or also called morphine milligram equivalents, MME, is used to equate opioids and their varying potencies. The total daily MED can serve as an indicator of potential risk for adverse reactions or risk of overdose. To calculate the MED, the total daily dose of each opioid is multiplied by its determined conversion factor. Opioids are available in multiple formulations and administration routes, including a variety of oral formulations, rectal suppositories, transdermal patches, and injectables, including long-acting formulations. Immediate release formulations are generally shorter acting and provide faster onset or peak serum concentrations. They can also be utilized around periods of time when patients may experience pain triggers or exacerbating factors, which can be particularly helpful if side effects are an issue. Extended release formulations provide a greater duration of action and more consistent serum concentrations. However, they are generally less customizable from a time standpoint and cannot be crushed or chewed. 
Several opioids are available in combination products with non-opioid components and also have immediate release as well as extended release formulations available. Whereas certain opioids are more limited in formulation options and combination products such as hydromorphone and morphine. For immediate release products, half-life and therefore dosing frequency are relatively similar and onset of analgesia is generally felt within 30 minutes for these opioids as well. Some clinical considerations to take note of is that hydromorphone tends to require a 50% dose reduction in patients with renal impairment, which is a more significant reduction than what we see recommended for other opioids. And unlike many extended release products, oxycodone is available in a capsule that can be opened and sprinkled on soft food or administered via feeding tube for patients who have difficulty swallowing pills. When thinking about where buprenorphine fits into this picture, it is important to consider some key differences. While both buprenorphine and morphine are opioids, there are some distinct characteristics important to recognize. Most importantly is the difference in receptor binding profile. While morphine is a full agonist at the mu opioid receptor, buprenorphine is a partial agonist at this receptor with greater affinity. This affords buprenorphine a lower side effect profile and reduced severity of withdrawal symptoms and with a longer half-life enables less frequent dosing compared to our traditional opioid products. Because of the partial agonism displayed at the mu opioid receptor with buprenorphine, buprenorphine possesses what we call a ceiling effect, which is beneficial from the standpoint of respiratory depression. And in the absence of concurrent sedative hypnotics, we see that CO2 accumulation remains constant as the buprenorphine dose escalates, although it is commonly thought that this ceiling effect also applies to analgesia, incremental analgesic effects can still be achieved with increasing doses, which may be due partly to buprenorphine's ability to mitigate hyperalgesia as well as address neuropathic pain. Given the potential benefits compared to traditional opioids, it's not surprising that there are several formulations on the market. The most recent formulation approved for chronic pain was released in 2015 and is the buccal film that we will talk about shortly. Additionally, because of its benefits in the treatment of substance use disorders, combination products with naloxone can add to the confusion of choices. Common buprenorphine formulations utilized for the treatment of chronic pain include the buccal film and weekly transdermal patch. The mucoadhesive buccal film is about the size of one's fingertip, and this is placed on the inside of the cheek. This is a daily administered medication and typically twice a day, so it generally takes about two to three days for a patient to reach steady state. And in clinical trials, it took most patients about a month before they were stabilized on a dose. Now, compared to the buccal film, the transdermal patch is a weekly patch that can be placed on four potential sites the outer arm, upper chest, upper back, and side chest. The patch size increases with increasing dose, and this patch delivers a steady concentration of buprenorphine throughout the day, with steady state concentrations being achieved by about day three. These clinical pearls can be helpful for key education points for patients, as well as assisting in clinical decision-making when determining which buprenorphine formulation may be the best choice. When discussing the buccal film, it does take 30 minutes for the film to fully dissolve, so patients must be educated to avoid food or liquids during this time, 
as well as to avoid swallowing or chewing as this can reduce the bioavailability of buprenorphine down to 10%. Patients with mucositis are also at risk for increased absorption with the buccal film, and these patients will require a lower starting dose as well as caution with future titrations. With the transdermal patch, it is important to avoid the application of heat directly to the patch site because this can also increase absorption up to 55%. Similarly, placement of the patch matters as placement on the upper back can result in greater absorption versus chest placement. It is also important for patients to apply a new patch immediately as the serum concentration can decrease 50% within the first 24 hours after removal. There are some key differences between the buccal film and transdermal patch that can help aid in choosing a formulation. Two important considerations that were not yet discussed include that the buccal film does have a flexible dosing range, and it also offers a greater morphine equivalent dose or morphine milligram equivalent, which can be particularly important if this is being considered as a converting opioid from an existing traditional opioid. Tepentadol and tramadol are opioids that also possess monoamine activity. Tepentadol is a mu opioid receptor agonist that also has norepinephrine reuptake inhibition. Tramadol is also a mu opioid agonist, but possesses both serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibition. Similar to many of our other medications, the immediate release formulations tend to be dosed multiple times a day. And depending on which agent you're looking at, the half-life is generally going to be around six hours, give or take a few, and this can vary depending on the formulation. When we look at Depentadol and Tramadol, though they are both mu opioid receptor agonists, there are differences between their schedule status with Depentadol being a schedule two, similar to our other opioids, and Tramadol being a schedule four. Depentadol is primarily metabolized through phase two glucuronidation, and having a low degree of SIP-mediated metabolism may be beneficial for those with hepatic impairment or for those who are at risk of drug interactions. Tramadol, on the other hand, is highly metabolized by CYP2D6 to active metabolites, and patients who are poor metabolizer status of the CYP2D6 enzyme may have reduced analgesia, whereas those who are ultra-rapid metabolizers may be at higher risk for side effects, including respiratory depression. While opioids can provide many benefits to patients, their use long-term is not without risk. Long-term opioid use can result in physical dependence, which can result in experience of withdrawal symptoms with missed doses or abrupt cessation, reduced medication efficacy, and increases in doses or addition of other medications to gain relief. Physical dependence also does not equal addiction, and it is important to be able to distinguish as well as educate patients on this particular note. The development of hyperalgesia is also a risk with continued use, again, reflecting back on the potential for reduced medication efficacy. There is also a risk of developing addiction in anyone who takes opioids, though risk varies person to person, and this is not a blanket statement. Risk of developing an addiction increases in those who have a personal or family history of a substance use disorder if there is presence of or history of an anxiety or mood disorder, as well as a history of trauma. 
When choosing to discontinue an opioid medication, it is important that gradual dose reductions are made. This is also called tapering. Tapering helps minimize discomfort and withdrawal symptoms and also provides patients an opportunity to report recurrence of symptoms or withdrawal symptoms that they may be experiencing during that process. The duration and increments by which a patient's dose is reduced varies and must be individualized and will also likely depend on the type of opioid that was being utilized. In general, guidelines for tapering include making small dose reductions such as 10 to 20% every one to two weeks. And generally, once the initial opioid dose has been reduced by 50%, the remaining dose may need to be tapered more gradually, as often this is the most challenging part of a taper. Longer durations of opioid treatment may also require slower dose reductions, and it's important to know and be okay with potentially pausing or extending taper processes, depending on individual patient responses. And it is important to identify that short-acting opioids generally produce withdrawal symptoms within four to six hours after the last dose, and long-acting opioids generally produce withdrawal symptoms around 24 to 36 hours after the last dose. If dramatic changes in an person's total opioid dose has been made in a tapering process, it is also possible that they may experience withdrawal symptoms while still taking an opioid. While acute withdrawal symptoms generally resolve in one to two weeks, protracted withdrawal symptoms can last for weeks and potentially months in certain patients. Prescription drug monitoring programs are electronic databases that track controlled substance prescriptions in a particular state. Currently, all 50 states have active efforts aimed at creating or continuing existing statewide PDMP programs. There are a range of advantages as well as disadvantages of utilization of PDMP systems. However, in the treatment of chronic pain, especially when utilizing opioid medications, some benefits include allowing providers to see patients' prescribing histories as well as involving them in the discussion around their PDMP reports. It can also help inform decisions prior to prescribing and provide information regarding appropriate opioid choices. And it can also help reduce the risk of polypharmacy and ensure that all providers are working together in a collaborative effort for the holistic treatment of the patient. So when determining which opioid to employ in a chronic pain treatment plan, it's important to ensure that non-opioid medications have been trialed and the pain type will benefit from opioid treatment. If there are multiple pain types present, then capitalizing on a multimodal approach or opioids that may benefit multiple pain types due to dual mechanism of action should be utilized. It is also imperative to consider other disease states that may benefit or be negatively impacted by the incorporation of an opioid medication or a particular opioid agent. And it is very important to consider individual risk factors that may increase short-term risks, long-term side effects, as well as the risk for respiratory depression and development of substance use disorders. Thank you.